Welcome to The Launch, the podcast sponsored by Tandem Launch, where we talk about tech, startups, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. We give you the inside scoop on building a startup, capital fundraising, the entrepreneurial journey, with both funny and impactful stories. This podcast is for budding entrepreneurs, ecosystem players, industry folks, venture capitalists looking for deals, students considering a career in the startup world, or anyone with a curiosity in Deepak. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tanumlaunch.com, or hit us up on LinkedIn. Let's build the future together. And now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Launch Podcast, sponsored by The Launch. I'm Bobby Bidochka, your host, and today joining me is Chris Aligo, Managing Partner of MetaVC. Thanks so much for being here, Chris. You bet. My pleasure. So let's just start the whole, you know, tell us a bit about yourself and your background and how you got around to MetaVC. Oh, well, it's a, it's a long and twisted tale, but um, it sort of began in uh, the 80s. I, I uh I went to graduate school um, for physics. I was a particle physicist by training, uh, which was, you know, kind of a, uh, a fun and interesting intellectual thing to, to take on, but of practical use to pretty much nobody. And so um, I did I did my five years of grad school. I did a postdoc for two years uh, and then decided I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to work uh, somewhere in industry rather than academia. So I made kind of a natural transition from working on, uh, you know, the, the lowest level of, of particles in physics to the phone company. I took a job uh, at Bell Labs in New Jersey in um, uh, early 90s. And uh, I honestly got bored there really quickly. It kind of was a big company environment and uh, very much different than the experience in grad school where you're pretty much doing everything yourself from, you know, soldering wires to writing computer code and, and analyzing data and, and all of that. And so um, uh, I got bored pretty quickly. And after two years, shot a resume out to this uh, interesting little company in Seattle called Microsoft. Um, didn't hear anything back for, for a couple of months and just figured they blew me off. But uh, I finally did got an invite out there in, uh, in March. And I went through probably the most uh, grueling interview experience I've ever had in my life. It was a uh, uh, we started at nine in the morning and didn't wrap up till almost midnight. I, I think I met half the people in Microsoft. Yeah, it was it was nuts. Wow. And uh, but it turns out that's a good thing, right? Because they just they're handing you from group to group, and and it, it becomes a thing of well, you know, okay, we like you, and and where do you think you might want to fit? And so, uh, you know, I got a call the next day that said, well, there are three three groups that would would love to have you join, uh, and one of them was was uh, MSN, and it was right at the launch, the initial launch of Windows ninety five and MSN, and so I jumped at that opportunity, and uh, and it was it was really a great, uh, very very happy I made that decision because among other things, you know, I I did have an opportunity after a couple of years to present to Microsoft's executive committee. Um, and on that executive committee, of course, was Bill Gates and uh, and his CTO at the time, Nathan Mervold. So I uh, made an early connection there at Microsoft, um, you know, presented a number of times and uh, which was a great experience, uh, although terrifying often for a young guy to present to that that group of people. But, um, you know, I never got thrown out of the room. So, you know, I took that away as sort of a victory and, uh, yeah. um, and really enjoyed it. And so anyway, um, you know, fast forward about 10 years, Nathan left Microsoft. Uh, he formed a company, Nathan Mervold, formed a company called Intellectual Ventures uh, in early 2000s. 
and I had an opportunity to join him in 2009, um, which which I did. So I, I joined Intellectual Ventures in 2009, um, and eventually, after a couple of years, wound up running a fund at Intellectual Ventures called the Invention Development Fund, and I ran that for um, about six years. And eventually, we we decided that that fund made more sense, not as a financial return fund, but as an operating company. So we uh, we spun it out of IV. Uh, and at that point, I, I decided rather than to stay with it, I was going to take a couple of years off and pursue my side gig as a race car driver. So I did that for <laughs> I did that for a couple of years uh, and had a great time. And uh, but in, in 2018, 2019, I was invited to come back to Intellectual Ventures and run a fund, a family of funds called the Invention Science Funds. Uh, there was an Invention Science Fund one and Invention Science Fund two, um, and I decided to do that. Uh, mainly because they offered me the challenge of raising a third uh, ISF fund. And so that was a big part of what, you know, I, I joined to do is to raise this, this third fund. And so we started working through, you know, what did, what does ISF3 look like? What does it make sense uh, to do? And um, over the course of, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about what other new areas could we go into and what, you know, where else might we invent and invest and all that kind of stuff. Um, at some point, I, I kind of looked at it and said, you know, we, we've got this, this one area that the invention science family of funds had kind of brought into the market. Nobody had done before. It's called metamaterials. And they did, you know, really phenomenally well. They, they launched, um, uh, before I joined ISF1, launched about five or six metamaterials companies. Uh, and then when I joined, we launched another five or six metamaterials companies in ISF2. Um, and they all did well. They're all sterile, still operating. We've had one, you know, gigantic exit. And so, um, you know, the, the technology showed real promise. Um, and it was clearly a, a, an asset of value and perhaps the most valuable asset that I saw we had uh, in ISF. And so I thought, well, you know, what about the idea of doing a fund dedicated to just exploring and exploiting the field of metamaterials beyond, you know, what we had done uh, in that original wave of companies? And so that was kind of the genesis of MetaVC, you know, again, over the course of trying to figure out what made most sense and how to structure it and, and how we would move forward and operate it, um, I concluded that it, it probably made more sense to have it um, as an independent venture vehicle outside of IV. Um, there were, you know, IV is not, it's not, it's not a venture capital structure or fund. It's, it's, uh, it's a different structure. And so there's some, there were some restrictions in terms of how we could operate. Um, and I wanted to address some of those things and, and uh, again, make it look much more like a, a venture thing. And so, you know, talking with Nathan uh, and investors in ISF, uh, we, we decided that made, that made some sense. And so we, we basically said, let's go, let's go forward. Let's do a fund dedicated uh, to the field of metamaterials uh, and let's do it as an independent venture capital vehicle uh, outside of IB and, and, you know, with, with Nathan's blessing. Um, Nathan's an investor in the fund. He's also uh, our our sort of chief strategy advisor. Nathan is a uh, he's a, he's a brilliant guy. He's he's got a he's a physicist as well. Uh, started up studying under Stephen Hawking, and I, I credit what? Nathan. Yeah, wow. sorry. Yeah, yeah Nathan, <laughs> Nathan is he's one of these guys who um, you know. I mean, I like to think I. You know, I I've got a pretty decent IQ, but you know, when I, I talk with Nathan, it's sort of like sometimes I feel like a child speaking to him. <laughs> it's just, it, it, yeah, his ability, he's got this phenomenal ability to, um, 
uh, you know, just sort of pick points of information out of thin air and make connections that, you know, in seconds that would take me months, you know, to sort of <laughs> draw these, draw these insights. And I, I give him a lot of credit with, I would credit him with being the guy who learned about these arcane concepts and metamaterials, these deeply scientific concepts, you know, no, notions of, of um, you know, negative indexes of refraction and weird concepts like that. Uh, and he you know, would hear this stuff and he'd go, oh, I get it. We can build a, a flat panel satellite dish. And you're sitting there going, what, huh? <laughs> how, did you, how did you do that? But, you know, that's kind of that's Nathan's gift is this ability to uh, uh, draw insights and conclusions from sparse information that, you know, might take the rest of us a very long time to, to get to. And so, uh, again, it was important to me as we, as we developed this idea for Meta VC, the fund, uh, that, you know, I, I didn't lose my connection with that brain with Nathan. And so yeah. uh, he's, you know, happily agreed again to be our sort of uh, chief strategy guy. Uh, and he's also an LP in the fund. Amazing. Okay, well, that this is a great segue then maybe just tell us a little bit more what so now we know Meta VC is a thing. So what, what is Meta, Meta VC as, a, as its own entity now? Yeah, so we're um, you know so so we did a we did a first close. Um, we, you know we're we're aiming for a hundred million dollar fund, an eighty to hundred million dollar uh, fund. Um, you know we're we're a first we're a first fund. I mean I've managed funds in in uh, at IV, but they were you know they're not venture funds. So to a large extent, I'm I'm a first time venture fund manager. Even though I've you know managed things that were were called funds, they really weren't venture funds. Um, and the same deal with my partner, my partner Conrad Burke. Uh, another physicist, very, very bright guy. Uh, he has more of a, you know, he, he came up through the entrepreneur ranks, right? He, he started a company and got funded and had a great exit with, with the company. Uh, he did, you know, he's worked at, he worked at Seven Rosen. Um, he worked with me at IV. Um, so, you know, we sort of complement one another nicely. But again, for both of us, it really is the first time that we're managing partners in a fund. And, um, and so we just kind of looked at it and we thought, you know, what's, what's the right way to size this? And, the, the way we, we look at it is, well, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to raise too little capital that we can't actually go after the opportunities we want to get after. Um, and we don't want to go after so much capital that, you know, you run the risk of how do you deploy it intelligently. Um, and so it just sort of felt that $100 million was the right way to go. Um, so that's where we landed. And uh, um, we, we sort of, our first close was with with Nathan and our other big investor who you will talk about in a minute. And uh, so we got about 25% of the way there with our first close. Uh, and so we've been heads down since, you know, beginning of, of uh, July, really uh, talking with prospective new investors and trying to raise the balance of the capital. So that's where we're at right now. Okay. Amazing. Uh, I mean, at Tandem Launch, we have a, a ton of physicists in the building. I have a bunch of friends that I don't know why, but I'm like surrounded by physicists love, Love yeah. me some physicists. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, it's really is a you know I I I credit what I learned as a physicist. I think with whatever success I may have had in in my career, um, you know, and I think one of the main things you you learn a couple of things. One, you become very curious about the way things work and the way the world works, right? And that that I think always you know in anyone's career having a having a real you know sort of energetic curiosity about stuff and how things work is super super important. 
Uh, and then the other thing that you kind of you learn is how to solve unstructured problems, right? So you're not spoon fed, hey, you know, solve this math thing for me. It's okay, we need to figure out how do we build a detector to figure out if there's, you know, charged kaon particles going through it. And there's no manual for that, right? And so, like I said earlier, you wind up, you know, kind of learning everything and doing everything. So I think it's a great, um, you know, I, I think you, you often find that sort of the, I don't know, the, the mentality you develop as a, as a, you know, physicists coming up really does oftentimes serve you well, particularly the stuff that we do, which is, you know, early stage um, company building and investing, where again, there's not necessarily a roadmap and you're constantly kind of adjusting and trying to figure out, you know, what is the right approach? What is the right vector into the market? And really, what is my, what is my product? And who, who are the consumers for that product? Um, you know, again, it's not, you're, you're just a lot of times just figuring all that out on the fly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of disciplines are very, you know, as you as you ex extend through your research career, you tend to narrow. But physics seems to be sort of this type of point of view. So so what I know about metamaterials is that what we can't yet um, create invisibility cloaking devices and yeah. apologies to all the Harry Potter fans out there. But so what for those folks who don't know, what are metamaterials? Yeah, so it, you know, it, it, I struggle with with a uh, it, it how to how to explain uh, what it is, and so maybe I'll try a high level um, sort of description conceptually about the idea of engineering materials to suit a purpose, as opposed to uh, using you know sort of naturally occurring materials and doing the best you can with it, right? And um, you and I have had this this uh, conversation before. I think about you know. In some sense, we've been as humans architecting and engineering materials for a very, very, very long time, right? Metamaterials is a sort of a more recent, you know, late model uh, version of that. But um, you know, I, I the analogy I draw is you know back in the early, early days of people when we started, you know, when we built fences as human beings, um, you know, we didn't have we didn't have, we didn't build chain link fences or you know things like that. We stack rocks, right, and we build walls with rocks to prevent you know the unwashed masses from invading our territory or whatever it happened to be. Um, and it works, but it's pretty inefficient and it's difficult. And, you know, it, it's uh, um, energy consuming and time consuming and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so as we got smarter as human beings, we could actually make materials and we could, we could, you know, derive the concept of a fence, right. That's made up of, you know, sort of, human-made strands of wire linked together and connected by posts, you know, purpose-built to solve that problem. How do I, how do I get something that prevent, you know, group A from attacking group B um, in a way that's efficient and cost-effective and, and all of that sort of thing. And so we, you know, we engineer uh, materials to solve a certain problem. Um, and that's at a very, what I just described, obviously, is a very macroscopic scale. Well, it turns out that you can, you can do a similar thing at much, much smaller scales. Um, and the real observation with metamaterials was that I can operate on forms of energy, energy waves, uh, in ways that are really not easy or possible to do with natural materials if I can create structures that are of the scale of the wavelength of the energy that I'm manipulating. Um, and so really that's the, the core concept is that I can create you know, different shapes at different, um, you know, spatial dimensions from one another uh, that can uh, create interesting interference, 
destruction, destructive or constructive interference patterns uh, by putting surfaces in front of energy waves that have microscopic structure or structures again on the scale of the wavelength of the energy, smaller than the, the scale of the wavelength of the energy. Um, and that really was that's that was kind of the core observation that I can I can steer energy, I can control where it goes, I can focus it in very interesting ways. Um, and in ways that are, are often very difficult or very expensive to do with naturally occurring materials. So again, back to that analogy of a, a, a stone wall versus a fence, um, rather than using naturally occurring things, I can engineer tiny little structures uh, that do a better job of manipulating energy than maybe naturally occurring materials can do. So um, that's, you know, kind of a that that I, oftentimes I feel that's about the best I can do in terms of the the description because it does get very quickly into you know you're looking at micro you know microscopic pictures of tiny little structures on a surface and it's like how oh, what how does how does that do anything but you know, that's basically the idea is if you can place structures on a surface that uh, where the structures the size and spatial separation of those structures are of the order of sort of half the wavelength of energy you can do interesting stuff to the energy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very easy to go down the the the, the, the physics rabbit hole there. But um, so maybe, um, do you have any like everyday examples that yes, maybe yeah. a regular person can relate to? Yeah, I think that probably is that's probably the right way to think about it. Uh, you know, rather than try to try to wrap your brain around what's happening at a microscopic level. But um, one thing I it occurred to me at one point was that you know in our early work we really fo focused on radio frequency we focused on radio frequency because the wavelengths are are larger than other types of electromagnetic energy uh, and thus the structures are a little bit bigger right so just in terms of manufacturing materials to do what we wanted to do um, it's easier to work with macroscopic bigger structures um, and so the, the, the core concept is that i have the ability to um have a lot of control over how I steer energy, right? And, and it's back to that that sort of intuitive leap that Nathan made that um, if I had the ability to um, push energy out and have a great control over which way it goes without moving parts, um, and if I have effectively a way of looking in different directions with, with a surface without having to move the surface, um, I can solve a lot of interesting problems. And, you know, the, that, that first recognition um, was applied to the, um, to the idea of, of, of collecting satellite signals, right? And so, um, you know, if you look at a boat today and the boat has satellite communications when it's out in the water, um, you know, it's looking at satellites, maybe bringing TV signal or whatever, um, you, you see these gigantic, uh, basically radomes with enormous an antennas in them. And as the boat is kind of bouncing around and moving over waves and changing direction, that that antenna is physically moving in real time to stay focused on the satellites it needs to be staring at. Um, and so that implies that, well, one, you've got gigantic antennas, and two, you've got a lot of heavy machinery in there to move that thing around very, very quickly to focus on where you needed to focus on the sky. Um, so the magic of metamaterials is that, well, can I do that without moving anything? Can I do that with a smaller surface? And just by, you know, sort of maybe changing bias voltages on, on, an, on an antenna element, I can, as the boat's bouncing around, electronically tell it, look over there. Oh no, now look over there, look over there, look over there without losing the signal and without having big motors and giant antennas and moving parts. Um, it turns out you can do that. 
And so there's there's a company that we launched out of ISF one called Kymeta that is building exactly that thing. So that's sort of a you know, kind of a first practical practical example of how you take advantage kind of the core scientific concepts of metamaterials. Um, and again, you know, when we first started, it was really all about working in uh, domains where the wavelengths were a little bit longer, just because it was easier to manufacture the, the metamaterial surfaces. Well, as we've gotten smarter over the last 10 years. And as we get smarter and smarter about it, we, we realize, well, you know, I can actually, I can work on energies, electromagnetic energy of different frequencies. I can perhaps now work uh, in the visible light spectrum where the wavelengths are much, much smaller and the frequencies are much, much, much higher, which implies that the structures I need to, to manufacture are much, much smaller, right? So you, you have these manufacturing challenges. But now we're, we're, we're now in a place where the, the research we've done over the last really 20 years and the commercial work we've done over the last 10 has led us to the point where we understand how to model these things and we understand how to build these services with, with much smaller um, uh, structures on them. And so now you get into the, the realm of, well, you know, I can manipulate visible light. And what does that mean? It means I can, I can create a lens that isn't made of glass. Right, and I can create uh, effectively a two-dimensional lens to and and have focus capabilities, um, you know, and and steering capabilities with that lens that would require multiple pieces of glass in a thing to to have the same effect. Uh, and so the practical example there would simply be, you know, one look at any device that we've got today that has that has a camera in it, right, and has uh, glass optics in it. Uh, you know, theoretically. I can do anything that that device does in metamaterials, but I can do it more efficiently in a smaller form factor, lighter, so on and so forth. And then to say that it, you know, it makes sense for me to you know, replace every camera element in my phone with metamaterials, but there are certain places where you know, in the practical world we look today and realize, man, that's a really silly device because it re it's required that I've got optical stuff in it. And the one that I, I quote probably most frequently, and it's, it's a company we're working on right now, um, is, is virtual reality headsets. And, um, you know, if, if you're a gamer or you're into, I, I use a virtual reality headset before I go to a track to learn the track, right? When I'm, when I'm race driving. Yeah. Um, and I'll sit in the simulator for an hour or two hours with this big, heavy, goofy thing hanging off of my face, sweating. And it's just, it's, it's really, it's unpleasant <laughs> after a while. And the reason that the thing is big and heavy and bulky is because it's got lenses in it. And well, what if I could take all of that, all those glass optics out of that device and replace it with two dimensional meta surfaces? Then all of a sudden I've opened up the possibility of having a VR headset or display that looks more like a set of glasses that's much smaller, um, much lighter, much more comfortable. Oh, and by the way, as it turns out, it'll work better. Right, because one of the challenges that we constantly see in things that require optics, it's very difficult and expensive to make an, an optical device out of glass that really is really pure, right? That doesn't introduce what we call chromatic aberrations. And chromatic aberrations just tend to be, you know, you'll wind up seeing a wash of red or blue or green across the screen, uh, or without um, diminishing the intensity of the light and reducing the brightness. And so not only do I get rid of the goofy headset and replace it with something small, compact and more comfortable, the performance is better. So, you know, that's that's another real world example of the kinds of stuff that we can do 
with metamaterials. Um, you know, and again, it's in the domain of working in visible light. And we're able to do that now because again, there's been just 20 years of, of great research, 10 years of really important commercial development work done on these concepts. Wow, amazing. So fun question. Um, even though we can't have in invisible cloaks yet, um, yeah. still holding on to that one. Hang uh, on, yeah, it might happen. <laughs> well, one day, one day, in maybe a different kind of way, I don't know. But if you right. could have any superpower of some kind, which one would you have and why? Oh gosh, that's a that's an interesting one. Um, you know, I don't you know, I don't know so much about uh like supernatural powers. Could I fly or have crazy strength? Um you know, I I guess um if if I could enhance one thing I had, I, I uh, you know, I would like to be smarter. I would like to process faster, right? I would like to be able to learn and gather and, and assimilate more information faster. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that probably for me, I'd love to be able to read through technical papers in minutes rather than hours, right? And and assimilate those concepts and then be able to make leaps of in terms of I'm reading a, a scientific concept. Here's how I might practically apply that, you know, really, really fast. You know, the better I get at that, I think the better I am at my job. And so, um, yeah. Like the like I, a flash, he, he just... And then exactly. <laughs> so rather than running really fast, you know, or, you know, it would just, can I, can I just absorb information faster? Can I get smarter faster? I think that that probably for me would be more important than running really fast, especially at my age. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't care so much about running. I would like to be, um, I would like to be able to transport. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that would I, be... I like doing lots of different things and the travel time is like such a drag. Um, yeah. So well, you know, that... and, and that's a really good, that's a good one, right? Because it's, uh, you know, sort of gets to this existential dilemma we have as human beings that we're trapped on this tiny little rock in the middle of a tiny little galaxy among a gigantic universe of galaxies. And you just don't know what's out there. Right. And, and you kind of, well, and particularly as a physicist, you begin to realize that, you know, the, the scale of the dimensions and the limitations that we have on our ability to move, it will make it impossible. We'll die not knowing what's out there, right? Yeah, and the exactly. next generation will die without knowing what's out there. And and that's just a, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. So yeah, that, that would be yeah. a good one. Yeah. Well, I mean, yours is actually, that's not that far away. So this one, I'm confident that I will see techniques and things that we'll be able to wear and do and download and whatever. Like I'm willing to be patient zero in any case yeah. if someone can enhance my cognitive performance um, or all brain performance yes i'm like yeah. sign me up i'm so down yeah. well you know it's that. funny we um you know there are the people work work on those sorts of things and uh you know notion of, of stimulating certain nerves in your body that make your brain more plastic and absorb information faster you know that's that, that that does exist and you know those are the, among other crazy things we worked on an isf we did work on something like that it's a smart a smart helmet you put it on and you know you, you practice your guitar while it's stimulating your brain and you can pick up guitar faster or whatever whatever it happens to be yeah i love that stuff and so down so i also i noticed on your press release um when you announced uh meta vc that bill gates was mentioned so this now we get round to the bill gates question yeah, i know yeah. people are going to want to know so i'm going to ask um you know was it you just received a contribution from him from the foundation or is he actually involved somehow 
You know, it's not, yeah, and it, and it wouldn't be through his, so, you know, Bill has got, a, a you know, he, he does a, a ton of different things. And, uh, you know, obviously, probably one of the, one of the things that he does that we hear most about is his philanthropic work through his foundation. Um, but he also does, he does, he separates the two things, obviously, but he also does a lot of private investing in things that he thinks are cool, right, and that could have impact. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's, it, you know, I consider him a hero of mine because of that, that, that curiosity and that desire to, you know, one, I'm going to become very wealthy and then I spend the rest of my life figuring out how to use that wealth to do good stuff, right, on the foundation side. And then I've got this other part of me that's just really curious about technology and particularly technology that could benefit, um, you know, the, 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 the rest of humanity. Um, and he spends massive amounts of time you know, just thinking about those things and, and directing where things go. And so, you know, we were very lucky uh, at Intellectual Ventures that that Bill uh, was an investor in in the work that we did there. And um, and and just by his nature, he's never a passive player. <laughs> you know, it's never here. I write you a check. Have fun. Um, you know, and, and it almost doesn't matter how big or small the check is. He wants to know what's going on. And um, and so we did, you know, I did and personally had you know, very much the benefit of being able to interact with him and benefit from, you know, his insights and his gigantic brain um, at, at intellectual ventures. And so, you know, it that was that was a terrific thing and opportunity you know, for me and for us. Um, and, you know, yes, as you pointed out, he's an investor in MetaVC. And, um, you know, I, again, he's more than just a, a passive investor where, you know, we, we talk with his investment team uh, almost every day, you know, and, um, you know, once we, once we get going, I fully expect that we'll probably review what we're working on with him uh, several times a year. Uh, you know, and again, it's, he's just got this, he has an amazing, you know, it's funny because he's a, you know, he's known as a, as a brilliant business strategist and he is, but he's also a brilliant business tactician, right? And so, you know, you can, you can speak with him about the, the big picture, right? Where are we going and what, what could we do with this? And is there a market for it? And who's going to buy it? And why would they buy it? And what's going to, what might it disrupt and so on? Um, but then, you know, he can get down to the level of, well, I don't think you wrote that algorithm the right way, you know, just, just as an example. And so um, every, every interaction with him really is a, uh, it's a treat and a learning experience for us. And so, yeah, we very much look forward to having, um, you know, one, his support and, uh, you know, and some time on his calendar, you know, as we, as we move forward. Yeah. I mean, only good things can come from that. That's for sure. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Incredible opportunity. So then um, this is your opportunity then to share with the world. Uh, what are you looking for? What do you need? What are you asking? Yeah. How can people yeah. help? So, you know, I, really at this point, it's, you know, it's early days for us. Um, you know, we are investing, you know, we do have that, we do have our first close of capital and, and we're making, we're making some bets. Um, and, and so, you know, from that perspective, I would invite anybody who's curious about the field of metamaterials, whether you're, you know, whether you're in academia, you know, and at a university um, looking at something that's, that's really interesting, or, you know, somebody's beginning to uh, start up a company, uh, we'd love to know what you're up to, right? And um, you know, there there may may not be a lot of room at the moment in what we you know have in terms of committed capital, um, but you know that's going to change over the next six months as we complete our our uh, second close. Um, and so, you know, I would I would love to know, and it's kind of part of my job to know what's going on in the field, right? And have a good sense of 
what work going on in the field is approaching that point of transition from R&D into commercial viability. Um, and so, you know, uh, I, would, I would happily talk to, meet, spend time with anybody, whether again, entrepreneur, you know, somebody, you know, a, a principal investigator, or professor, whatever, um, who's working in the field, who's got this passion to see what they're working on wind up in a real world sort of example product service or something like that. So that's kind of, that would be kind of prong number one. And then prong number two, of course, you know, we're trying to raise money and uh, to do this work and, and really explore uh, where we can go with the field. And so, um, you know, it, it, I think, you know, we'll, we'll sort of select for a certain type of investor, meaning, you know, the, the thing that we're working on is a little different you know, as, as venture capital goes, it's, it's not garden variety venture capital. Um, you know, there's an awful lot of dollars in, in venture that winds up going after chasing software, you know, whether it's internet applications or, or enterprise software or digital health or what it happens to be. Um, you know, and that's all great, but that's, that's not really what we do. We have a different, we have a different take. Um, we've got a set of assets, IQ, intellectual property experience, you know, funders, scientists who know this field, right? And so we've got kind of pole position, in my opinion, in the field of metamaterials, back to a racing reference. I like the racing reference, nice. (laughs) Terrible. Um, And so, you know, that, uh, I think it's, you know, we'll, again, that that ecosystem, that that thing we're trying to build, you know, it might not appeal to, you know, large university endowments, right? Who, you know, or, or, you know, gigantic foundations who oftentimes, you know, they're financial investors and they're, you know, they're often only, you know, uh, focuses, you know, what is, what is the multiple going to be, right? What's the IRR look like? Um, you know, we're, you know, it's, it's almost like we, it's, 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 we're going to wind up probably talking with a lot of family offices, uh, and people who are, you know, a little kind of, techie, little nerdy, little geeky, right? And, you know, like me and Nathan and guys like, you know, Bill, who have done well, who enjoy technology, um, who are not, they're not frightened off by the, sometimes the challenges of working in a field that's some, that's hardware, you know, more hardware oriented than software oriented. Um, And so, you know, I would say that it's it, obviously I want to talk to investors. We, you know, we fundamentally believe, and I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe that you know we can generate great multiples and great IRRs in in uh, VC like timeframes. And I think our track record to date um, supports that. Happy to talk to anybody about you know the companies we've spun out to date, our hit rate. You know, we haven't had any dropouts. Kind of amazing in in the early you know stage investing world. Um, you know, again, the multiples look good, the IRRs look good. Um, but again, it's a little different, right? It's, it's, we're in some sense, it, it tends to look a little bit more like what some of the bigger biotech, um, uh, investors do or, or VCs do where they, you know, they get fascinated with a certain area of healthcare and they'll work with the university and license some technology, some viral antiviral technology or something like that, uh, that they think has great value. And they'll assemble a team of people to, to bring that, you know, to do the necessary validation work and de-risking of the technology and then figure out the vectors in the market and all of that sort of stuff. It's much, but it's much more, it's much more directed. We want to solve this set of problems. We want to, you know, we want to go after these sorts of things and we're going to build that as opposed to, you know, more, a more general venture capital approach would 
which would be to say, you know, I've got these four discipline areas that I want to invest in. I'm going to make four or five bets in each of those over the course of a fund. I'm going to meet every CEO on the planet who's working in those areas, and I'm going to pick stock, right? That that's really my job. We're we're not stock pickers, right? We've got we have a set of assets that we believe are uniquely valuable. Again, you know, the combination of of brain power and financing and um, and intellectual property that nobody else has. And so, if you see value in that thing, we're the place to get exposure to the upside. Um, so, you know, again, a little bit a little bit different than you might position it with, um, you know, if you were a, a more traditional venture capitalist. I believe that that approach some investors will find very interesting and very appealing. Uh, again, folks who have that you know that real interest in tech and seeing tech develop and seeing what you can do with it, um, you know, have have more of an you know, interest in that outcome than purely sort of financial returns. Again, I don't want to diminish, of course, I, you know, let's face it, part of what I'm in this for is I believe it's a great financial return opportunity. Um, but, you know, again, I sort of I sort of believe that, you know, we'll select for a certain type of what we put together, we'll select a certain type of, of investor. Um, and so, you know, if that sounds if that sounds interesting. You know, again, it's it's early days of the explosion of a new field, always a great place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you believe in you, if you believe what I'm saying about the possibilities and the the scale of the potential disruption of this technology, this is the place to get exposure to it. Amazing. Uh, so, how can people get in touch with you? Um, that's a good one. And so, I I just thought maybe I'll just pull up my business card, see if I can share my screen. Is that is that helpful? Yeah, um, go for it. Yes. And so for those who are listening uh, via audio, it's chris.allegro, A-L-L-I-E-G-R-O at metaventurepartners.com or visiting the website metaventures.com. And I'm I'm also uh, on LinkedIn, as most of us are. And I've actually I've met some uh, really fascinating investors and and companies just via sort of cold drop-ins via link LinkedIn. People, you know, saw that maybe the article in the wall street journal that talked about what we were doing. And um, I, th- I think sometimes it's a little, it's a little weird to sort of cold drop in on somebody in LinkedIn, but um, I've, I've met some really great folks that way. So. Um, oh yeah, me too. I do it all day, all day long. Yeah. <laughs> e- email, email me directly or, or, you know, hit me up on, uh, on LinkedIn that works too. Fabulous. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Chris, uh, for joining us and jamming about metamaterials. My pleasure. Hopefully, I didn't confuse people more than I helped explain what it is, but it's, you know, you never know. You so. did a great job. You did a great job, but then it could possibly open up a conversation in the future. Uh, thank you uh, very much to our loyal listeners. Your time is always appreciated. You can follow us on social media. Hit, hit us up on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget, if you have a technical background and you want to create your own startup, hit me up on LinkedIn and I can tell you about all the incredible opportunities at Tandem Launch. So ciao for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you had fun and gained valuable insights. Why don't you subscribe to the Launch Podcast today? You can share the podcast, tell a friend, and follow us on social media. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tandemlaunch.com, and get in touch today.